Our gospel lesson today comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13 together. Let us hear the word of God. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And then some other words of wisdom Jesus offers after the parable. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with riches, true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, open my lips, and may my mouth declare your praise. Amen. Before moving to Midlothian to accept the call here as pastor of Huguenot Road Baptist Church, we lived up in Hanover County, about a mile and a half from Atlee High School, if you know where that is, in central Hanover. Our yard was flat and rectangular in shape, and we had 16 Leland cypress trees in our backyard. They lined the back and gave us some nice privacy from the homes to our side and to the back, and also gave us some nice shade there in the afternoon. We also had some crepe myrtle trees, and out front I planted two Yoshino cherry trees right after we moved in the house that grew very large when we moved almost a decade later. I would always take care of the pruning and the shaping, 
But after a while, the Leland cypress trees got too tall. And you need to take care of those because if a snowstorm comes or an ice storm, they will lean over, break off, or the root balls will come out of the ground. You know, some of you are nodding your heads. So I often had to hire a tree company to come and take care of the Leland cypresses every couple or so years. One day, my doorbell rang. And it was a man who was working for a tree company in our neighborhood, and he apparently had noticed the Leland Cypress in my yard and said, I'd be happy, we would be happy to trim your trees for you. We are doing a job for one of your neighbors up the street. So I thought to myself, well, if he's doing work for one of our neighbors, he must be trustworthy. So I went out in the yard, and he ended up scoping out the job. He gave me a price, which I thought was fairly reasonable. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll hire you to do it. He said, well, we'll be back. I saw the truck and all the equipment down at the end of the road. They came back later and did a nice job on the trees. And I paid him, and they went on their way. A few weeks later, I happened to see my neighbor from down the street who had also hired the same company to do his yard. And he said, Bob, he said, they told me that they were down at your house doing your yard. So I figured since they were at your house, they must have been trustworthy. They were clever. You might call it shrewd. In the business world, that's the word that's used, shrewd. Thankfully, neither my neighbor nor I had any problems with their workmanship, nor did any limbs fall and break down the fence or hit a car, and thankfully, none of their employees got injured. You know, if those kinds of things can happen, you can be responsible if they're not insured. But the fact is that there are all sorts of people from Wall Street to Main Street who are sharp, clever, wise, and shrewd in their business practices. Some are honest in their dealings, and some are not. It's always good, by the way, to get references, check the Better Business Bureau, and secure several bids before hiring somebody, especially if you're an older person. Sometimes companies can come along and swindle you and get a deposit and never show back up. Perhaps consumer advocacy is one small takeaway from today's sermon, but there is more. Jesus flips things, and he does it here. He tells the parable of a shrewd manager who is also referred to as dishonest, unfaithful, untrustworthy. And in the parable, the dishonest manager is actually commended for his actions. How are we to make sense of someone who is commended for his dishonest work practices? So let's look back at the story and see if we can understand a little bit more about what Jesus is saying to us about being responsible for God's kingdom resources. This parable is framed in a section of Gospel of Luke called the Journey Narrative. We talked about this at the beginning of our series on uh, September 1, where Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem, and he knew that the cross was his destiny. 
this part of Scripture ends at Luke 19.44 when Jesus enters Jerusalem and weeps over the city. Through Luke 14, 15, and 16, Jesus has some powerful words to His disciples, to the Pharisees, and to the crowds about being responsible with kingdom material possessions, including our money. Here in this text, the primary audience is the parables, as that's what Luke records. But it's probably more than the twelve. There were other followers of Jesus gathered to hear this teaching. And based on verse 14, after the parable, it's apparent that some of the Pharisees were also within an earshot of this teaching as well. So multiple kinds of folks heard his message. And let's walk through the passage and see what he says to his disciples and the others. This parable is a story that it's told to illustrate spiritual truth. That's the meaning of parable. Uh, something that is told alongside uh, something else to illustrate spiritual truth. And in verses 1 and 2, we see that a rich businessman calls in his manager. We might say district manager. We might say supervisor. Or biblically, we would say his, the steward of his properties. The Greek word is oikonomos, which is where we get the word economics. Oikos means house. Namos means law. House law. The rules of the house. Uh, managing, stewarding. So he calls the oikonomos, who is the superintendent, manager and overseer, to see what was going on. He had heard wind that this particular manager was being irresponsible with his possessions. It was not uncommon for a wealthy business person like this to have several of these managers uh, handling his business affairs, the, the, the wealthy man, the, the master, the landowner, if you will, the proprietor was probably in another venue and every now and again would meet with these regional managers to get an accounting of what was happening and so forth regarding the business. The rich man would have highly trusted his manager. Somehow the rich man heard tell that his manager was squandering the possessions, wasting the possessions. Perhaps he was siphoning off money for himself. Not unlike Zacchaeus and the other tax collectors who would represent their tax bill to the people, overcharge them for it, take a commission, and then pay uh, the amount that was due to the Roman government. So the rich man calls the manager to his office can imagine that he leaned back in his leather chair across from his big old desk and began to ask him what was going on. And he said, I hear you've been squandering my possessions, what is rightly mine. I demand that you give me an accounting of what you've done. And by the way, you're fired. He doesn't ask for a ledger sheet. He doesn't ask for an accounting printout. To see the bottom line, the word when he says, I, I ask that you give me an accounting, here the Greek word is logos, which means word. I ask that you tell me what you've been doing. Give me your story. And after hearing the news, the manager tries to figure out what to do next. Perhaps he will have the last laugh. 
like George Bailey and his Uncle Billy in the movie It's a Wonderful Life when they outsmarted Mr. Potter and saved the building and loan in Bedford Falls, New York. Like the younger son who devised a plan to return to his father in the parable of the loving father or the prodigal son, the manager devises a plan. He's got to figure out how to work out this situation. It's not going to end well. Only... His plan did not end up in an apology like the younger son who had gone off and squandered his share of the father's inheritance that he gave him. This manager's plan seemed to be deceptive. It involved taking more of his his master's money than he was entitled to. Let's look back at verses 3 and 4. The manager said to himself, he thought to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job, people are going to welcome me into their houses. We will have a place to sleep at night. We'll have food on the table. So the manager goes out to the rich man's customers, his book of business, and he begins to negotiate with them. The first customer that Luke describes, that Jesus tells about in the parable, owed the rich man 800 gallons, or some say 900 gallons, of olive oil. The Greek is hecaton batas. Batas would have been 8 or 9 gallons of liquid measure and hecaton 100, so 8 to 900 gallons. And the manager told that customer, tell you what, we'll cut it in half. You only owe my master 450, 400, 450. That's a pretty good deal. The second customer owed the rich man 1,000 bushels of wheat, hecaton quarterus. Quarterus is a, a measure of dry goods like wheat. A quarterus was about 10 or 11 bushels. So the manager cut the bill by 20% and made it 800. Not bad. We assume that there were other customers, but Jesus only tells us about two in the parable. We also must assume that the manager had a lot of time on his hands. Today, with instant communication, a word would have gotten out and the man would have been escorted out of the office. They would take his key fob. They would take his card that he... Uh, clipped on his shirt to identify himself. They would clean out his desk and escort him out the building. But none of that happened here. He had plenty of time to go out and talk to the customers to try to figure out what he would do. So he struck while the iron was hot. Jesus tells the disciples that the rich man commended the manager for what he had done. The person he had previously fired, he comes back and he commends him. You are to be commended for acting shrewdly. What are we to make of that? Jesus is telling a parable that on its surface shows a man being praised for his dishonest business practices. What? What's that about? Here are a few ways it could unfold. It was illegal under Jewish law to charge interest. Another word for that is usury. 
So often business people would build the interest into the cost of the product. Instead of something being $800, they would charge $1,000 and $200 of interest would be included in it. So the interest was disguised, right? Are you with me? So perhaps this manager went to his customers and gave them a break and took off the high usury, the interest that was built into what they owed the master. And by doing that, he would make friends and they would welcome him into their homes. That's a noble gesture. Or it's possible that the manager was foregoing his own commission. That's another way that some commentators have supposed it. That was a very generous and merciful thing to do. To tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut my commission off this deal and you only owe the basic uh, I'm not going to make anything off this deal. Just remember me, you know, if I come back and I, if I need a place to stay. They would return the favor. And it's also possible, third, it's also possible that the manager falsified amounts owed to his master to gain favor of those who would later show him hospitality in his time of need. I think that may be the one, but you, you can see the point. What he did was shrewd. In the business world back then, it was seen as, hey, that's pretty clever. You got me on this one. You're pretty sharp. And then Luke says in the parable, in, in the reflections after the parable, that the people of the world are more shrewd and clever than the people of the light. He's saying the people out in the world are more wise and sharp and clever than you are with kingdom resources. And I believe that's getting at the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's, perhaps he's saying if a person in the world who is crafty and evil knows how to do something good for someone else to give them a break to help them in their situation, how much more should we as people of the light be wise with the resources that we have been given? How much more should we be willing to take what we have of what we have and use it for others? You remember in Matthew's Gospel, if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your Heavenly Father in Heaven give you good things for those of you who ask? Right? So if those who are in the world doing these shrewd kind of business practices can do something good for their constituents, how much more can you do good with the kingdom resources that God has entrusted you with? And in verse 9, we see a reference to eternal dwellings. And perhaps this is to mean that the manager in his dealings was thinking about the future. Yes, he was thinking about his immediate future. He needed a place to stay. Perhaps he had a family. They needed a place to stay. They needed food on the table. They needed some uh, break to get them through this time of transition. Those whom he helped would provide him help. They would pay it in return until he got back on his feet. And let me say that we as people of the light, we Christians, we find that uh, passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, referring to people of God as uh, 
people of the light? When we, as people of the light, are wise and faithful with what God has given us, we too are thinking of the future. We are helping to provide basic needs to those who need it, like food and shelter and housing and clothing and medical care. I'm thinking of our clinic last Saturday, of how you all took resources stewarded to you and made such good use of them and helped so many people. And we do this to tell others about the one who is preparing a place for them, an eternal home in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and I will take you to be where I am. Fred Craddock writes, This parable says to us, disciples of Jesus, that for all the dangers and possessions, it is possible to manage goods in ways that appropriate to life in the kingdom of God. One thing that we need to say here before the end is that the manager was accused of squandering resources. The Greek word diaskorpizo, which means to scatter or squander. The same word is used in the chapter, uh, chapter 15 to describe what the prodigal son did when he went off and squandered his father's resources, when he blew the inheritance. We can argue, as we listen to Jesus' words, that this scattering is actually a good thing. Like when a farmer scatters seed, we are sowing God's blessings into the lives of others. When we take what God has given us, and when we steward it, and when we are shrewd with it and wise with it, and bless others through it. One commentator writes this, although our dishonest manager does not repent like the prodigal or act virtuously like Lazarus, he nonetheless does something with the rich man's wealth that reverses the existing order of things. In Luke, reversals are, of status are at the heart of what happens when Jesus and the King of God, kingdom of God appear. The proud are scattered. The powerful are brought down, the lowly lifted, the hungry filled, the rich sent away empty. Perhaps when we are wise and shrewd and wasteful with the things of God, we will hear these words. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, what you have done for the least of these children of mine, you have done it unto me. May we be shrewd and wise, and sharp as we seek to use the resources that God has given us to scatter what He's given us. And Jesus reminds us when we are faithful for that little bit that God will give us that much more to use to advance the kingdom. Before John Wesley became the founder of the United Methodist Church, he was a teacher at Oxford University back in the 1700s. When he began his career, he was paid 30 pounds per year, and in those days, that was a lot of money. His living expenses were 28 pounds, so he gave two pounds away. The next year, his income doubled, but he still managed to live on 28 pounds a year, so he gave away 32 pounds. The third year, he earned 90 pounds and gave away... 62. The fourth year, he earned 120 pounds and lived on 28 and gave away 92. One year, his income was a little over 1,400 pounds, and he lived on 30 
and he gave away nearly all the 1,400 pounds. Wesley felt that with increasing income, what should rise is not the Christian's standard of living, but the Christian's standard of giving. That we are to increase our standard of giving and live on less and give God more. What a great Christian man and what a great lesson he has taught us. He understood the spiritual struggle that people have with place of money in their lives. And the irony of his ministry was that many of the revivals they, they led were turning people from alcoholism and other problems into sober, hardworking, responsible Christian people. And some of their, uh, the converts became so successful that they lost their commitment to Jesus. They slipped away. They allowed their success and their affluence to become their God. And in reality, they were just as lost as they were the first time they met the Lord. Wesley's solution was this. He saw only one. And he taught this for years. That they should earn all they could. That they should save all they could. And they should give all they could. Earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. Jesus says it this way, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters, he says. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot worship both God and money, he says. May we be responsible with the resources that God has entrusted to us. May we scatter them well as God leads us here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Let us pray. Thank you, O God, for leading us today. Thank you for this beautiful worship service. Thank you for the prayers that have been shared, the music that has been led, the scriptures that have been read and proclaimed, and for the way in which Dr. Nofsinger has so faithfully played this organ. We ask you bless him as he continues to serve you through the good people here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. May his example help us to think about ways we can serve and use the gifts and the talents and the resources you've given us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.